KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I thought the roof was going to pop up, and uh, it's amazing that everybody stayed up in the spectrum. All the fans stayed up and, and clap and scream for the, the last, what, maybe five minutes remaining in that game. It was just amazing, and, and there's a lot of things that happened <laughs> in that last five minutes. And our guest this week is former Philadelphia Flyers defenseman J.J. Daniel. J.J., thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Matt. So these days you are a head hockey coach, the Halifax Mooseheads in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Obviously uh, no hockey right now, but how's life been for you for the last several months here during the pandemic? Well, it's been really good. Um, I was in Halifax last year when when the, the pandemic started. That was March 15th, if I remember well. The Our league was shut down, so the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League was shut down on March 15th. And I returned back home. The, the very next day, I went back to my cottage, um, my cottage in Montreal. My wife was there already. My my daughter that studies at the University of Pittsburgh was with us on our spring break as well, as well as my 13-year-old daughter. So we went down there and actually it was, you know, it, it was a, obviously it was a long quarantine or a long confinement. But for us, it was it was pretty easy because, you know, we're, we're at the cottage, uh, we're just by the lake. So we got down there, obviously. At one point, when I got there, I was ice fishing, and then three months later, I was fishing on my pontoon. So <laughs> we got to live through the uh, the seasons. It was long, but it was it wasn't really a confinement where uh, I had to be stuck in a one one thousand square foot apartment for six months. So right now, we were talking beforehand uh, as we're recording this in mid December. You guys are shut down, but hopefully, you'll get back out there end of January, maybe. Well, the, I think the league is hoping so. They, right now, the province of Nova Scotia, even though there's not many COVID cases down here, has decided to, uh, to shut down any team sports as well as uh, restaurants and, and pubs and bars. Um, so for us, I think we were on standby for two weeks. Uh, that being said, on the very next day, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League decided to shut down the league to give an opportunity to their players to go back home for the, the holidays. And we're going to bring all our players back. We're hoping to bring them back on January 3rd for a two-week two quarantine or confinement where they would be allowed to get out of their hotel room and go for, for a workout at the rink and get on the ice. And hopefully the, the season, uh, there, there's not really a, a set date per se, but I think they're hoping to start mid-January or early February. So, I think that this is the ballpark that they're aiming for. So let's talk a little bit about your life. Born in Montreal, correct? Yes, absolutely. Born in Montreal and in the southwest of uh, the city, uh, probably 10 minutes away from the, the old forum. So, yes, that's, that's, where I, that's where I spent most of my youth until I left uh, at 17 years old to play with the Olympic program in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, so obviously, being born in Mont- being born in Montreal, I was a big uh, Habs fan back then. Like I probably saw three or four of their their parades in the late seventies when I was uh, a young teen, and uh, it, it probably ignited something in me. Yeah, was hockey from a playing standpoint growing up? Was hockey your main focus? Well, it was. You know, I grew up in front of a park. 
where we had uh, four ice rinks. So two ice rinks where we could play hockey and two where you could only skate. But obviously it was right there within 30 seconds walking distance for me. So I, I, I spent a lot of days just uh, you know, playing shinny hockey with all the, the neighborhood kids on, you know, on Saturday, uh, all day on Saturdays and Sundays on weekends. And, uh, but obviously growing, growing up in Montreal, uh, most of the young kids were Montreal Canadiens fans. And uh, when, we played, when we played on these rinks, uh, there was always one Gila Fleur and one Serge Chavard and one Yvonne Cornoyer. And obviously the goalie was Ken Dryden. So um, it, it was part of our youth, you know, to, to play a lot of hockey. And even even when the win, winter had gone by, we played in schoolyards with uh, uh, with our buddies, with you know, just our runners and, and uh, the, the orange balls, the orange plastic balls. So... I think it was hockey uh, year-round. And did I read you played with Mario Lemieux in Pee Wee's? Well, we're, we grew up seven, We grew up in the same neighborhood, and we were seven street apart. Okay. So, um, uh, when from the age of I would say from the age of five to nine years old, I played for I would say my parish uh, where the church was, and when hockey got more competitive for me. Uh, and I, I joined the double-A rank at, at, at the age of uh, 10 years old, probably peewee. So, obviously, I was trying to do peewee double-A as, as a centerman my first year. And, obviously, the top center there was Mario Lemieux. So, that's probably one of the first time I got to meet him, even though uh, we grew up in the same neighborhood. We didn't, uh, we didn't go to the same school because we weren't part of the same parish. But there, there must have been, like, uh, seven blocks from my house to his house. But uh, when I got to play uh, Bantam AA uh, my first year at 10 years old, I, I went there as a centerman. And uh, obviously it was my first year, so they cut me. Uh, but at the same time, they offered me, because I was a good skater, to give it a try on the backside. So I, I think my, uh, my coach was pretty good. He said, listen, JJ, you're a good skater. You know, you're making a good first pass. Maybe you can use you on the backside. So um, I wasn't all that sad to be cut. You know, and, and become a defenseman because of Mario Lemieux because it turned out pretty good. But that's where I started to play defense at Pee Wee Double A. And then we went on to we went on to play together uh, two years Pee Wee Double A, two years Bantam Double A, one year Midget Triple A, as well as my our first year junior, where he was the first overall pick with uh, Les Voisins de Laval, uh, and I was the second round pick of the uh, last pick of the second round by the same team. So we also played together at the age of, of 16 years old in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And then after that, uh, I think it was an expansion draft where I didn't get protected. And I went on to play with another junior team. But yes, we, we, spent, we spent a lot of time uh, winning championship as a, young, uh, as, a, as a young hockey player growing up. And we also spent a lot of times in schoolyards in the summer. It's, it's amazing the amount of time that... that uh, that, that we spent, I think that all the, the players from the, this, our team, as well as our school, was just a phone call away where you wanted to play in the hockey school uh, on a weekend. So, you know, we would, we would make a phone call on Saturday morning or Sunday morning and then just uh, have a shinny hockey game uh, together. So we had, a, we had a good group of kids because there's a, uh, there, there's a lot of kids from our you know, Banton team uh, that went on to play Quebec Major Junior Hockey. So uh, I think that most of the players had, had a strong influence, probably from Mario, probably maybe for myself. There's also Mark Bergevin that played with us as well, uh, who's now the GM in Montreal. 
but Mark, usually Mark didn't make the first year. His, his first year, he played Pee A, I believe, and then he joined us the second year. Uh, at the Bantam level, he did the same thing. Like he played A, and then he joined us on, on, on the, second, uh, the second year. But he obviously, he was there with us, and um, we also spent a lot of time together. So it was, it was a fun group of kids. Um, obviously, we just played hockey for fun. We didn't play hockey for to make a living out of it or just to follow our passion. We were just young kids uh, having fun at that time. Was it apparent even at the young age that Mario was something very special? Oh, he was. He was very good. You know, he, he was really good. He was. He was dominant. Obviously, his size was. He wasn't that big of a kid. No, even though he's six foot five today. I, I, I think he only started to grow when he was 15 years old, where you no, know, we left Bantam AA probably at probably left at 5'10. I was maybe 5'9. And then he showed up for training camp the year one year later for midget AAA was 6'2. And then junior he kept growing. But um so he wasn't really dominant with his size at that at that young age, but he was very dominant with his skills. Um he was a, he was really a step ahead of everybody. And I think that when I look back at that. I strongly believe that I benefited from that because obviously you're you're taking two on ones and one on ones in practice and three on twos against against a player that became one of the best player of all time in the NHL. I, I think you can only benefit from that as a defenseman. Did you take to being a defenseman right away? Did you enjoy it? I mean, obviously it worked out like you said; it worked out very well for you. But at you know at the young age, there were you frustrated or were you just happy to be playing? No, I wasn't. Not that I was happy to be playing, but. You know, I think it's a it's a part of a, a part of the game that I really enjoyed. I, I think it catered well to my personality. Maybe I was more of a cerebral uh, defenseman, but I think that one one of the the thing that I that the, my minor hockey coach said later on when I was playing a professional hockey said said you know what JJ always had the knack for getting one big body check every game when he was a kid. So I guess maybe I had a little bit of a a little bit of a bite to my game at that age. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed. I, I really enjoyed what uh, uh, what what playing defense was all about. It was about seeing the play, making some good reads, uh, you know, and, and being a good quarterback. And I, I think that's probably what my coach at that time saw in me, and that's why he put me on defense. So I was I was very welcome to the to getting getting bumped back uh, to being a defenseman. And the other thing too that what happens when you join the race of you know, double letters or a very competitive team as a young kid is that there's there's probably less individual play and more team play, and maybe again that cared well for me because I, I like to play more as a team and uh, so I was very welcome to the change and I was really happy about the change because for me back then that team was the Montreal Hurricanes and. So we got to be well known throughout the province of Quebec, uh, obviously for Mario, but we also had uh, obviously there was myself, there was Mark Bergevay. We had a goal, goaltender named Carl Parker who went on to play with uh, in, in the Quebec Junior League too, and he had success. Um, so anywhere we played, anywhere we went on a tournament, it's like oh, the, the Montreal Hurricanes are in town. Take a look at them. There's that kid. There's that the other kid there on the backside. So. Uh, I think we got to uh, we got to be well known in, in in our own province. When do you start thinking that you're going to be able to play hockey at the pro level? I mean, obviously, the level you're playing at 
the success you're having, when does it start to enter that I'm going to be able to probably carry this to a pro to a pro team? Well, it, it's not really that uh, it's not really that I really start at, at a certain age to start thinking I have, I have a chance or this is what I want to do for a living. I don't think that my thought process was in trying to become a professional hockey player, but my thought process was more uh, one where I need to invest more time in becoming a better hockey player. So it's funny because uh, when I take a look at Myself as a young kid and showing up at the draft at 18 years old, it's not, uh, it's funny because today I'm, I'm coaching junior kids that are 17 years old and are eligible for, for, for being drafted. And it seems to me that like they're looking at the price uh, instead of looking at the process of going there, they're looking at the outcome and say, my draft year, I have to do well. And for me, but it was my draft year. I never thought about the draft. I always thought about uh, I have to be disciplined. I have to go to school. Uh, <clears throat> I have to shoot my heavy pucks. I have to, to get stronger physically. So I, I think that there's a time, probably when I was 16 years old, to be honest with you, is to, after having a very good talk with my one of my eldest brother, who also played in the Quebec Junior League and was a New York Ranger draft pick, uh, after having a good talk with him, I really decided... I didn't decide to become a professional hockey player, but I decided to in really invest time in the game uh, and to see where it could take me. And obviously, when you make sacrifices and, and you, know, you invest in your discipline, uh, oftentimes it's going to work in your favor. And one of the places it took you was the 84 Olympics, right? You were on the Canadian Olympic team. That had to be wild at, at that age. Well, it was a great challenge for me. And, and like I was saying, Matt, at 16 years old, uh, I remember I had, a, um, I had a gym that was probably maybe three miles from my place. And um, I, I went down there, took my bike one morning, just after my hockey season was over, I took my bike, I drove to the gym. And actually the owner of the gym, it's a, it was called the Nautilus Gym. The owner was an ex-hockey player. I think he's a player who had played for the Nordiques at one point. Um, so I went to sit in his office and I said, listen, I, I want to work out. Uh, I know you have, a, I know you have a, uh, uh, a, a three month uh, rebate or you have three months for, it was like three months for $99. I went down and started to negotiate with him and say, listen, I, uh, I want to work out this summer. Can you do it for $60? <laughs> we don't have much money. So he finally uh, gave me a good deal on the, uh, the membership and, I would probably go there five or six times a week and, and, and try to get stronger. So I think at 16 years old, I invest a lot of time. And that's probably the reason that at 17 years old, I was able to have the great season that I had in junior and was invited to the, the national uh, Olympic team for the 84 Olympics. So, um, and obviously when I, when I joined the team, I don't think I, I didn't feel I was a step behind or I, I don't feel like I was, uh, weaker than all the 22 and 23-year-old uh, senior college players that I was joining uh, because I had invested a lot of time and tried to get stronger that summer. So I think it really paid off. And for me, it was a great decision because uh, the year before, at 17 years old, I had an unbelievable season with uh, the expansion team in Longueuil and with our head coach, Jacques Lemaire, who had won countless Stanley Cups in, uh, in, in Montreal. He was a great mentor to me. He was, he was a great coach. I, I think not only, the, not only Jacques Lemaire helped me 
uh, improve my my fundamentals, like the part of my game, my stick handling, my and my shot and all that. But he also taught me at a young age how to manage the game, how to make sure that the clock was my best friend when I was getting on the ice. I always, you know, take uh, my decisions, <coughs> you know, uh, considering what the, the score was in that game. So it was really helpful, helpful to me. I had an unbelievable season at 17. And for me, it was time to move on. So that's one of the, the reasons, obviously, the, the Olympic program approached me. And I had to take a decision whether I was going to stay junior or join the Olympic program. But I don't think I had anything more to attain playing junior at the age of 18 years old because I was a late birthday. And um, it, I think it's, it's probably the best decisions, uh, the best decision I ever made as, as a young hockey player, as well as, as my family, because my mom and dad were part of that decision. But uh, obviously I was joining, uh, I was joining a, a group of older players. I was joining men. I was also playing against men. When I joined the Olympic program mid-August, I was 17 years old. I only turned 18 mid-October. Mid, uh, mid so I got to play against the Oilers and Wayne Gretzky at 17 years old. And I, I got to play against the AHL and IHL hockey team. So for me, it was, it was a step in the right, right, direction, uh, right direction. It was a uh, stepping board to, towards, towards the next level that, that uh, was in the back of my mind. What's the, the Olympic experience like representing your country? Just the, aside from the hockey, but just, you know, wearing the emblem and being being a part of something that represents your country. Yes, well, I, I think it's everything that surrounds the Olympic. It's the, uh, you know, the, the, the Olympic, uh, the city where, where the, the athletes stay. The fact that you get to, the fact that you get to uh, get acquainted with, other athletes, uh, you know, whether it's speed skater, I got to meet Gaetan Boucher, <clears throat> who gave me a, an unbelievable leg workout that I used for the rest of my career. So uh, not only that, I, I, I got to meet some great athletes, but on, on this one, on, on meeting Gaetan Boucher, I, I really got the benefit of getting a good leg workout that I used the rest of my career. But uh, obviously, when, when the team wasn't playing or when the team was uh, at a day off or just a day of practice, we tried to see as many competitions as we could. Uh, so we got to see, again, Gaetan Boucher was the, the best Canadian uh, skater, you know, speed skater at that time. Uh, you now we got to see some figure skating and uh, uh, some ski jumping, a little bit of everything. But it was it's fun to go see uh, other discipline and not, not only uh, us playing hockey and focusing on, on what we had to do. And it, it also took our minds of, off of the uh, – off of uh, the process, uh, the process of trying to to win the medal in that in those Olympics. So, I, I think uh, you know, to answer your question, it's just the uh, the whole package that the Olympics uh, has to offer um, with the beautiful then city of uh, Yugoslavia, who obviously went to uh, to war uh, afterwards. Uh, and, you know the athletes that you meet and uh, and all the acquaintance that you make. So then you get drafted, I think, 10th overall by Vancouver in 84. Uh, what was the draft experience like? Obviously, the, the draft in 1984 is a lot different than it is now. Um, wasn't the made-for-TV event that, that we see. Were you there? Did you get a call at home? How did, how, what was draft day like? Well, I, I was there, Matt, but I didn't want to be there. Um, the reason was, uh, the, reason was the, the very last – the very last game that I played with the uh, 
Longueuil. So after the Olympics that probably ended around March 20th or something like that, the end of March, I joined my junior team back for, for 10 games. I think maybe 10 games rem remaining at the end of the season, as well as a playoff run. And um, I think in game five, Uh, in the final against Laval, against Mario Lemieux, I, I got it and and, uh, and sprained my knee really bad. So I had, I had a really bad injury where my, my ACL came off my, my bone and I had to get operated. And I, I missed, I was out for six months. Um, obviously, back then, they don't do, do arthroscopic surgery. They, they open you up and just the, just the scar took maybe six weeks uh, to heal. But anyway, I was on, on crutches when the draft you know, came around. And I told my mom and dad, I said, I don't want to go to the Montreal Forum on, on crutches. You know, that, I don't think it looks good. And then, obviously, my parents told me that there's, it's only going to happen once. There's only going to be a, a draft. I think you're, you're rated pretty high. So uh, I showed up at the Montreal Forum with my crutches. And uh, I went to the Montreal, I went to the, the Vancouver Canucks table on crutches as well. So that was my experience of, of, the, of the draft. It was a really good one. It's, it's a decisions that I don't regret. Because, again, um, it only comes around once. You're only 18 years old once. You can only get drafted once. And, again, you know, it, it's, it's, it's taking me back to, you know, your earlier question when you were asking, uh, did you want to play professional hockey at a young age? Um, well, the answer was no. And then when you're sitting there, you don't really have any favorite in terms of, do I want to go play for Montreal? Do we have the Boston Bruins or the Philadelphia Flyers? Uh, at that point, you just want to get drafted and you just want to have the opportunity to, uh, not to play at the next level. Again, take your, your game to another level. So for me, the Vancouver Canucks was that opportunity, uh, June of 1984, and uh, it was a great day. So you get healthy and you start playing in the NHL. You're still a teenager. I would imagine for a lot of people, I like to ask, you know, what's the transition like? to the pro game, speed of the game, stuff like that. Am I, am I wrong that maybe the transition wasn't as difficult for you because the Olympic experience and, oh, by the way, grew up playing against Mario Lemieux? So I would imagine you had a very good feel for what that high level was like. Yes, and obviously um, you know, playing, at the, playing at the Olympic level the year before, playing with men you know, most, of, uh, most of that year, Uh, obviously, we, we did play against college players. We did play against the U.S. Olympic team. But most of that year was you know, playing against the, the Swedish Olympic team. You know, we played against uh, oh, the, 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 the Russian, uh, well, the Russian were Larionov, Krutov, and Makarov with the, was their top players with Fezov, Trechek, and all these guys. Um, so I think I was ready. I think I had worked really hard. Uh, to rehab my knee. I had worked really hard as well to keep getting stronger, but physically I'm not a big, I'm not a big defenseman. You know, I, I played in the NHL at five foot 11 and 180 pounds. Um, so I, I was probably more the prototype of the 2020 <laughs> defenseman than the prototype of what teams were looking for a defenseman back then. Uh, but, but at the same time, I wasn't really, intimidated and the speed wasn't an issue for me because I was always a good skater. Uh, so sometimes because, because I had the opportunity to coach at pretty much every level right now, I started at the AHL, went to the NHL, now I'm back in junior to 
to me, for for a hockey player to get to every level or to the next level, it's an adjustment to pace. And some players never adjust to pace. So some some will go from junior to the American Hockey League, and three years later, the management as well as them will find out that that pace is too fast, and the player can't really adjust. But for me, that wasn't an issue. I think the uh, you know, the issue might might have been uh, physicality, but I, I think I was able to get by with uh, with smarts, speed. Uh, reaction time and other elements of my game that made me survive at a young age. So your first couple of years are with Vancouver and then you get traded to the Flyers. I think it's June of 86. Do you remember how you learned you were getting dealt and how much of a shock was it? It wasn't much of a shock, Matt, because at, at that time, even if I was 20 years old, I had, I had told my agent that uh, I wanted to get traded from Vancouver uh, no, obviously, I played there when I was 19 and 20 years old because I'm a late birthday. I played when I was 19, 20 years old. The Vancouver Canucks were a team, uh, a team rebuilding uh, with uh, young draftees. Uh, no, the, the previous draft, the previous draft before me were Cam Neely, Michelle Petit, uh, Rick Lands. So there were a lot of uh, good hockey players, but. To me, honestly, I, I didn't think that the team was, was going in the right direction. And I think that the team, the management wanted to rebuild. Uh, but uh, I don't think that the, the, the young kids coming into the, the Vancouver Canucks were very welcome and, and trying to assert themselves and taking on bigger roles or even taking roles uh, and responsibilities that, that would have been taken away from, from veterans. Uh, so... I think there was a little bit of a clash you know, between, you know, between the old and, and, and the new kids coming in. I could sense that and as a result. And the other thing, too, is I was far from my family. I was 19 years old. Uh, and I, I really found it difficult to, to be away from my, from my family. And I see it today coaching young kids that are 17, 18 years old. They come from Quebec. They come from uh, Prince Edward Island. They're with us for two months. But at one point, you know, they're living with Billis. They miss their families. So I, I can understand them, and that's what really—that's uh, really what's the what—that's really the reason that motivated me asking my agent to be traded. So I wasn't really shocked when when I got traded. I was just uh, looking for a new start somewhere else. Time for a break on one on one. We will have more with former Flyer JJ Daniel right after this. Hey everybody, it's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter, but every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers and change makers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. And we are back on one-on-one. Our guest this week, former Flyers defenseman J.J. Daniel. What did you know about Philadelphia before you got here? Nothing at all. What were your, what's your first memory of Philadelphia, of becoming a Flyer? Well, um, it, was, it was probably the city. You know, I, I really enjoyed the city, obviously. Uh, there's the Rocky movie, and there's the Rocky statue, and there's, uh, uh, there's the museum, uh, museum of Art uh, downtown. 
Um, I, th- I think that the downtown Philly has changed a lot in the past 30 years. But back then, I, I think it was a good blue-collar city. Obviously, uh, my wife and I got to go downtown. Uh, no, not, not we didn't get to go downtown oftentimes because we lived in, in Cherry Hill in South Jersey. Um, but you no, know, we always... No, we, we took the time to go down there and then and, and go to restaurants. So uh, uh, Philadelphia is a great city. And, um, and obviously, I didn't get to spend a lot of time before in Philadelphia, but I, I got I got to spend a lot of time there in the past couple of years because uh, my oldest daughter graduated two years ago from Villanova as an NCAA swimmer on, on a scholarship. And uh, so... It, I got sort of reacquainted to the city of Philadelphia because every time uh, that we played New York against the Rangers as an assistant coach from the, for the Montreal Canadiens, I would take the train and come and have dinner with her and take the train back to, to New York and, and do my work, prepare my meetings on the plane. So I, I, got, to, I got to take my daughter uh, you know, four years when she was uh, studying at Villanova you know, to, to a good restaurant downtown Philly. So it made me sort of fall in love uh, with the city again. So when you come into the the team, you come into a pretty good team uh, with the Flyers. Uh, what was the vibe like in the in the locker room? Uh, how much fun was that season leading up to the the appearance in the Stanley Cup Finals? Well, it was an amazing season. The the vibe in Philly was a, was incredible, and um, I, I think that the vibe was that good because of its leadership group. Um, obviously, I, I got that. I probably got down there early August to start to work out with uh, uh, with some of the players. Obviously, you have Dave Pullen that welcomes you, uh, Brad McCrimmon, uh, great team players, Ron Extall, uh, Mark Howe, Brad Marsh, who I still talk to uh, today. I think that the, the Flyers were successful with a very young team because of a very good leadership uh, group that they have there. Uh, and, and obviously, I'm, 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 there's, there's a lot of players that I'm missing out. You know, the, the, the prop, the Kerr, the, the Samuelson, the Doug Crossman. I, I think that the, the mix of the, the, the older players, having been around the NHL with the Rick Tockett and the Scott Mellenby, the Derek Smith, all these young kids, I, I think the mix was unbelievable. But the strength of that team was really uh, the veteran group. So you guys have a ton of success. Rolling through the playoffs, and then in the finals in '87, you you get Edmonton, and I think we can throw that team probably on a list of the most powerful teams in history. Obviously, it starts with Gretzky, but it's so much more. What are you guys feeling heading into that series? I mean, it's a it's a big challenge, but you guys are very good as well. Yes, well, I'm not taking anything away from the team that we had, but it was you know. With skill versus skill and grit uh, and work ethic. So I, I think that we had obviously the firepower to compete with, um, with the Edmonton Oilers. But I, I think that the Oilers, especially at the top, uh, at the top of their their roster with the top two lines, were so talented that sometimes uh, they would get into games and and maybe things would get easy because you know, they were so talented. So I think that's probably the, the, the one advantage that, that we had against them. I, I think that we were a very well-conditioned team. I think Mike Keenan was huge on, on players being fit. So we had good, very good work ethic. We're a hard-working team. We're a team that uh, 
uh, never gave up. Obviously, we could see we came back in series. We came back in games. Uh, so, so there was there was sort of a no quit attitude uh, among amongst the, the roster. And uh, but no, we knew what we were against. But no, we also knew that well, the Edmonton Oilers learned quite a bit in their last final against uh, the last final that they lost against the Islanders because the Islanders were a skilled team, but they also uh, finished series all banged up. And I, and I think that's that's probably how the Edmonton Oilers start to put it together. Is that they, you know, they, they start to understand that uh, there was there was a work ethic and a, a price to pay and, and, and a strong commitment that had to be made uh, to win a championship. And that's where that's where we caught them. They were probably at that. They're, they're probably. Uh, they were probably at the top of their game at that time, you know, in 84 and 85 and 86. But obviously, we, we got ourselves in a good situation. You know, we're down in the series, and you know, we found a way uh, to get back in, in, back in that series as well. Yeah, it's 3-2 Edmonton, game six. What I did, I, what I forgot researching for this is you guys are down 3-2 in that game six at the Spectrum, and you also trailed 2 nothing after a period. So they really got you on the ropes of uh, get two goals to tie it. And then obviously you score an absolutely iconic goal that I think even casual sports fans in Philadelphia, I can tell you this, I've done a lot of episodes of this podcast talking to different people in Philadelphia sports. And at least twice this goal has come up in conversation and not necessarily in conversations about hockey, just about Philadelphia sports, fandom, stuff like that. Take me through this goal. Because I was watching another interview. You weren't supposed to be on the ice, or you were expecting to come <laughs> off the ice? Well, that's the, that's, the, that's the funniest part, Matt, about this goal, is that obviously I'm a 21-year-old defenseman. And uh, obviously I'm playing a regular shift. Uh, we're playing at home, so Mike Keenan is the last change. <clears throat> and um, and uh, when I was on the when when Gretzky was on the ice, I was probably supposed to be off the ice. If I understood my my responsibilities well, uh, you know, Mark Howe and Brad McCrimmon, as well as Bra- uh, Brad Marsh and Shell Samuelson, were probably uh, were probably the top two lines uh, match. Uh, so anyway, I had just jumped on the ice. I believe I wheeled my net and made it made an outlet pass, but I, as I made my outlet pass, I could see at the far end of the ice Edmonton's bench changing, and I saw Gretzky get on the ice, uh, and then Yari Curry. Um, so I headed to the bench. As soon as I made my pass, I believe I headed to the bench, and uh, Mike Keenan, kind of, it was a quiet bench at that time. Obviously, uh, the game was tied, and Mike Keenan yelled at me. He said, get the... I'll, I'll go beat, get the beat out there. <laughs> uh, so I just skated up the ice, tried to you know, close my gap offensively. Yari Carey picked up a, a loose puck in the high slot. I think he wanted to clear the zone, but it took a funny balance. I was coming 100 miles an hour. I caught my gun. It's probably the hardest shot I ever took. And uh, I was able to beat the Yari you know, Carey you know, stick side, the you know, far side on, on the stick side. And uh, here we go. So it, it's amazing because uh, I'll get to meet some, some ex-teammates now and then. And now 
they always remind me, hey, JJ, get the heck out there, get the game home. But, you know, it was just, it was probably meant to be, you know, and, and for me, I had missed a lot of those playoffs in, in 1986 because of a, uh, uh, I sprained ankle that I did the first series against the Rangers. So I was out most of the series. I had just made a comeback uh, in the Oilers series. So uh, it, it was fun. Obviously, it was a, it was a great win that night. It was fun to game the, uh, it was fun to, to, to score the game winning goal, but I think I learned a lot. Of scoring that goal because uh, it was tough for me to wind down as a 21 year old and get prepared for the next game, the final game. Um, so I, I, I think that I learned a lot about the mental part of the game uh, that really helped me win the Stanley Cup in '93 when I was with the Montreal Canadiens because I, obviously I was then I, I was 28 years old. I was more mature, but I think not only was my play more mature, but my my uh, my mental preparation and my my focus was probably better as a result of of scoring that goal. Well, sometimes you learn through failure uh, because obviously everybody knows the result of Game Seven. Uh, but no, it was fun. It was it was a great moment. Obviously, uh, Matt, when you talk to a lot of people and they, and I lived live through it myself, I've I've never seen a, a building so loud in my life. Uh, I thought the roof was going to pop up. And uh, it's amazing that everybody stayed up in the spectrum. All the fans stayed up and, and clap and, and scream for the, the last, what, maybe five minutes remaining in that game. It was just amazing. And and there's a lot of things that happened <laughs> in that last five minutes, especially when the especially when the, when the Oilers pulled their goalies at the end. And I think that there was a goalie play that XC would like to take back. But, uh, He's always joking about it. <laughs> so, obviously, it was a great moment. It was a great team moment for us. Uh, and obviously, it's unfortunate that we weren't able to, to close that series. What does it mean to you, the fact that, like, that that goal still resonates 35 years later in this city? Like, I'm not kidding you. I could probably walk down, you know, Market Street ask 20 people, J.J. Daniel, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, he scored that huge goal against the Oilers. Or 75,000 people say they were at the spectrum. Like, it really, it's got a a big piece of Philadelphia sports history. It has to be cool to to, to, to be the owner of that. Well, I, I think that on an individual level, it resonates well. It makes me feel really good. But obviously, uh, it, would have, it would have resonated much better had we you know, finished had we finished the Oilers and win that game seven, and you know uh, I, I got to play with uh, I got to play with Grant Fuhrer in 1988, 1998 I should say in St. Louis, and uh, we start to talk about that goal. He said, "Well, said, let's look at it this way, JJ. You got the goal, and I got the gold." <laughs> so, and uh, Grant has always been a funny guy, but. Again, it, 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 it's great. It's great that the city of Philadelphia you know, remembers these moments. And, and I hope for them that uh, with the team and the staff that they have right now, they, they get to well, win their third standing cup. But they would have been much better for that goal to be a game-winning goal in Game 7 in Edmonton. But you do get the Stanley Cup, as you mentioned. You move on to Montreal, and you win it in 93. In 
I can only imagine winning a Stanley Cup incredibly special, winning a Stanley Cup playing for your hometown team. That's That's got to be just incredible. Well, it was amazing. For me, it was a dream come true because, uh, like I said earlier, I didn't miss many Stanley Cup parades when the Montreal Canadiens won four Stanley Cup from 76 to uh, 1980, if I remember well. So I was a young teenager. I was probably uh, 11, 12, 13 years old at that time. And uh, I remember I, I would tell my team, like, I would tell my buddies and the teachers would know that uh, I wouldn't be showing up at school. It's, I, I, I wouldn't be saying that to my kids that I'm coaching today in junior, but that I wouldn't be going to school because I was going at the stand, to the Stanley Cup parade. Uh, but no, it, for me, that, that was important. But obviously, having the opportunity, you know, uh, six years later, uh, seven years later, to, to win a Stanley Cup with, with the Montreal, having a chance to, to really redeem myself, uh, because it's always tough when, when you lose a Stanley Cup, but it's, always, it's even tougher when you lose a Stanley Cup in, in a Game 7. And at, at that point... Obviously, I was really disappointed, but I was I was also only 21 years old. Uh, no, the players that were disappointed were the Brad McCrimmons. They, they were the Mark Howell. They were the, well, the the Brad Marsh because they had played 13 or 14 years in the NHL, and they knew that going to a Stanley Cup final itself wasn't coming by uh, every year. Uh, so it was tough to get there. It was tough to finish. It was tough to win. And everybody had to be in your... Uh, you, yeah, you have to get you have to get all the right balance if you're going to win a Stanley Cup. You know, you, you can't have two of your top players get injured. You need your goalie to be on top of his game. So and I think that's what happened in Montreal in 1993. I don't think we had the best team in the NHL at that time, and there's nothing wrong with saying that. I think that we had a great system, and we had you know, a roster, 20, 23 men on the roster that was willing to abide to winning within a, a, a strong defensive system. And you know, we're a team that really got better uh, every series. I, I think that our toughest series was probably uh, was probably the Quebec Nordiques. So we got down 2-0 in that series. We, win the, we won the, the series in six. We won the next four games after that. But it was probably the most physical series that we played. Um, and obviously I'm not taking anything away from the Buffalo Sabres, the Islanders, and, and the, uh, uh, the, the LA Kings, but the, the, the Quebec series was one tough series, and once we got through that, uh, I think we got through that as a better team, and we only got better you know, from then on, and uh, the fact that we, we abided and played well within, within our structure Think really shows when you know, when we went to overtime, we won eleven games in overtime, if I remember well, and it was just a matter of keep playing, playing, keep playing the same way. We played the same way at all time, and oftentimes we benefited from from the opponent's mistakes. So when it's all said and done, I think you played with ten different NHL teams. You had a long, successful career in the NHL. When does coaching is coaching something that you always kind of figured? would be the next step or was it something that your career's done, you want to stay in the game and this is a way to stay in it? Not one bit, Matt. Um, I, I think that becoming a coach uh, was pretty much the same process as, as me as a 16 and 17 year old kid, uh, not really saying out loud, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. 
I finished my career in 2001 after signing with the Minnesota Wild as an expansion team. Uh, they sent me to Cleveland that year. My conditioning wasn't that good. And I, I spent one year with the Cleveland Lumberjack. I called up once. At the end of that year, at 35 years old, after playing uh, 900 games in the NHL, I, I told my wife, I said, uh, I think I have enough. And upon my retirement, we moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, and I went to university for three years. So it wasn't like at 30 years old, I said, well, maybe I have three more years. I'd like to become an assistant coach. I'd like to become a head coach. It never crossed my mind. I moved to Arizona with my wife and two young daughters at that time. They were four and five years old. Um, I went to Scottsdale Community College for three years. I took three classes per semester. I wanted to get the education that I didn't get because I played at the NHL at 18 years old. And that's what I did. Uh, following my third year in the uh, in Arizona, uh, one of my friends, uh, Claude Lemieux, as well as Ron Fillion, a boyhood friend, started an ECHL team in, in Phoenix. They brought back the old Phoenix Roadrunners of the ECHL and IHL, I believe, at that time. And they asked me, said, JJ, I know we know you're going to school, but would you like to join us? Uh, I don't know, assistant coach. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I said, yes, you know, I'll get back into hockey and start teaching and teaching and see how I like it. So that's that's where I got involved again. I got involved with the, the Roadrunners and, and the East Coast Hockey League. And following that year, uh, I, took, I, I took a strong liking at teaching again uh, and being around the players, uh, sharing thoughts and, and new things, new ideas. And that's where I set my resume to a couple of AHL teams, especially the New York Rangers, um, where Jim Sean fell at, at coach me in Phoenix and was the, the head coach of the, uh, the Hartford Wolfpack. So I sent my resume there. Um, he called me. They, they brought me to Hartford. Um, had a good interview with me and then hired me at the NHL level. So that, I think that's pretty much where it started. And then from then on, it's just uh, just like a player. You, you're learning every day. You're, uh, as a coach, you're sort of a lifelong, uh, it's like a lifelong learning curve uh, where you're trying to, to, you know, to learn from everybody around you, players and coaches. And um, it's, it's been fun. You know? The AHL was fun for me. Being part of the Rangers was fun as well. And and being able to, to teach kids like uh, you know, Dan Girardi on defense, uh, Ryan McDonough, and Mike Sauer, you know, being around the Dubinskys, the Callahan when they were 20 years old. Uh, I, I think I was really, really uh, fortunate to be around those kids. Uh, I was really fortunate to, to be able to share my career with those kids, the discipline that it takes to get to the next level. And, and the fact that... It's oftentimes if you're in the AHL and you're a skilled player, if you go back, if you get called up or things like that where kids might be nervous, I don't think they should be because oftentimes you get to the NHL level, it's easier because the skill level is greater. Everybody's in their position. The passes are better. And um, so, you know, it was fun to, to share uh, the knowledge uh, the best of my ability with all those young uh, Rangers players that eventually played with the uh, future Rangers players, I should say, that, he, that eventually got a chance to play with the Rangers. So you've been coaching several years now. What If you had to boil it down, what is your favorite part of being a coach? Uh, to me, I think it's teaching both on the ice as well as teaching uh, on videos. 
I think it's fun to show kids uh, things that they're doing. Showing kids, especially at the level I am right now, I'm, I'm coaching kids that are 16, 17 years old. So it's, it's, a, it's a raw package uh, that, you, that you have to work with. And so it's fun to take, for example, NHL clips, their clips, and join them together and, uh, and, and teach kids pretty much everything that they're doing. You have to teach them how to play in the structure that you're trying to implement. Uh, as defenseman or forward, you know you have to teach positional hockey, stick position, body position. Uh, just like I was taught by Jacques Lemaire, managing the game because it's a tough, uh, something that's difficult for young kids to learn because they can play a hockey game the same way from the first minute to the last minute. And obviously, you have to understand that a hockey game is you know, uh, there's different pulses of a hockey game, and there's ups, ups and downs. You're not gonna carry the pace or carry the play for 60 minutes. Sometimes you're going to lose momentum. Sometimes you're going to get it. So it's important to teach kids at, at a young age how to, uh, to, you know, to manage the way they play uh, with regards to how the game is going. Uh, but I would say that just doing video one-on-one with players and and just showing things to the kids and have them come back and say, you see that it, it worked. You know, what you taught me worked. Uh, how you taught me to play that one-on-one in the corner work. How you taught me to box out net front and pick it up is stick. It works. How you taught me to make my pass with a good follow-through. So I, I think it's, it's 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 fun to have a relationship with young kids that bounce back and forth and to see kids uh, <clears throat> just like I was when I was 16, 17 years old and seeing kids getting better, taking pride in getting better, working to get better, uh, but also... Uh, having them being around, I I would like to say a good mentor for them to get better. JJ Daniel, thanks so much for taking the time. This was fun. Thank you, Matt. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that will do it for this episode of One on One. Want to thank former Flyer J.J. Daniel for being our guest this week. Now, if you like this show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to tune in again next week when we bring you another conversation with somebody you should know more about.